Hello and welcome to the Killing Times podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Killing Times podcast and I'm delighted to say that I'm still here at the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival in Harrogate and joining me for this episode is one of the world's best-selling, most loved crime writers. It's Lee Child. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, Now, I know from meeting you before and seeing you on panels in the past, you're an incredibly voracious reader. Uh, and you seem to love the culture of crime fiction, not just the writing, but the community, the writers, the readers, the festivals, the events. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I love the uh, the, the culture of any kind of entertainer. Um, right. You know, I like actors, I like comedians, I like musicians, I like uh, show business people, movies, uh, theatre, television, and so on. Because there is a sort of purpose there. Your 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 purpose in life is to give other people a good time. Yeah. Uh, now, you get problems coming along with that in a lot of other parts of the industry. Uh, you know, there can be egos, there can be difficulties, but not amongst crime writers. It seems to be a phenomenon that the easy cliche is to say we get out all our savagery on the page, yeah. and so what we're left with is just pleasant people. Yeah. That may be true, it may be an oversimplification, but it's certainly the case that you come to a thing like the Thixton's Festival at Harrogate, and it's everybody's charming, relaxed, talkative, mingling. Um, so we come really uh, to see each other as much as anything else. You catch up with your old friends, you hear their yeah. gossip, you hear their plans, you hear about the ideas they got, the books they're going to do. And um, in a little bit of a way, I come here for purely selfish reasons. Partly I, I, I want to get the new books, I want to read the new stories, but also I want the fear that comes with seeing this tsunami of talent. Right. Uh, you know, always, all, it's like waves breaking on a shore always new generations of writers coming with such energy and yeah. um, such excitement and it just makes me work a little bit harder you know? right There's so it no gives you that little, little push yeah total yeah, push yeah. yeah yeah and i was going to ask you you know you're well known for su- your support for debut authors in particular ask anyone at the start of their careers um, and they'll in- invariably tell you that yeah you know lee's been really really supportive it's not necessarily mentorship but it's support is that is that important to you well, it is. I mean, although that's only 50% of it, I got a lot of help and support at the beginning, like all authors. You yeah. know, my first book uh, was completely unknown, and it was blurbed by three writers yeah. for no reason at all other than kindness and goodwill. Yeah. And so I feel some kind of obligation to pay that forward. Yeah. But allied to that is simply I love new stuff. You know, yeah. I love new authors. I love the the constant uh, refreshment of the genre, really. Yeah. And I, w- I want to get it as early as I possibly can. So yeah. if somebody sends me a proof, I'm reading that book six months before anybody else, and I'm reading it for free. Yeah. <laughs> Double win, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I just want to go back to the 80s real quick. You told this story a lot, how you came to start writing. Um, so we won't go into it now, but you did work in television for a long time. Um, and I'm interested, you were part of a company that produced the likes of Prime Suspect and, and Cracker, which were, you know, just in the crime genre, hugely successful 
both in terms of viewers and critical acclaim. Um, what was it, looking from the inside, I guess, what was it about those shows in particular that, that you think struck a chord? I think really what it was was that they were quality shows. And uh, I worked for Granada, and Granada had a, a belief that you did not have to chase the lowest common denominator. Yeah. That, in fact, people would respond probably better if you gave them quality. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a brave stance at the time, and I think it's true. Mm. I think that you do not have to write down to the market at all. Um, write with intelligence, with, with passion, and uh, put a lot of quality into it. That's what people actually like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not kind of like assume that they like dumbed-down stuff, right? No, I mean, uh, it, it's this topsy-turvy view, you know, people use, for instance, the word soap opera as a negative. Yeah. And it's not. It's soap Almost opera. like the way some people use guilty pleasure for crime fiction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, soap opera is a very sophisticated way of telling a story and yeah. the audience is super sophisticated they in the middle of their busy lives they can keep a track of multiple narrative strands that may not reoccur for a month or so at a time yeah, yeah. you know they're very smart and it's the same thing <coughs> to call uh reading a really well constructed quality suspense novel or crime novel or thriller a guilty pleasure um it's not really germane, you know. Why no. is it guilty to enjoy a really well-made product? Yeah, it's like sort somebody of down. Buys, somebody buys a BMW. Is that a guilty pleasure? Yeah, you it's know? just a pleasure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, that mid-eighties period is often described as a kind of a, a golden age of TV drama. Do you watch much TV drama today? And if so, kind of, do you notice the difference between? Kind of generations there. Well, we are now into you could say a whole different generation, or even possibly in media terms, maybe two generations since since yeah. I uh, yeah. went. And there was a long, long fallow period yeah. that I think was the fallout of that shakeup, and and it is coming back a little bit. But given the choice, I will read first of all if yeah. I've got leisure time. Second of all, I'll listen to music. Yeah. TV comes third, and I've got nothing against it. Obviously, I, I loved the, my time in it. I, I earned my living that way. I, I love that business, but it's just third on my list. So yeah, yeah. I don't get to it all that often. Yeah. Um, well, we're still on TV. We will move on to Jack in a, min in a, in a few seconds. Um, now, I was at your in conversation with John Grisham on, uh, was it Friday, Friday night? night, yeah. Which was terrific. But one thing I took away from it is that you kind of coyly mentioned that Jack might be coming to television. Well, what can you tell us about that? Well, it's really uh, an industry worldwide issue at the moment that uh, the movie business is kind of hollowing out in the center. Yeah. And the Reacher movies or any movie of that nature is what you could call a sort of medium budget, medium sized, uh, straightforward narrative movie, you know, with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a yeah. plot, and characters, and dialogue, and yeah. so on. And there just does not seem to be room for that anymore. Yeah. Uh, everything is either now an independent-style production at the lower end, which can be fabulous, of course, but yeah. uh, usually made independently on a fairly low budget and then distributed by one of the big studios. Yeah. The big studios themselves are now going for these immense superhero cartoon character movies that uh, will play well in China. Mm. Uh, you know, quite specifically, with lots and lots of action, lot, lots of visuals, not too much dialogue, which saves on um, either dubbing or subtitling. It's yeah. very cynically aimed towards the massive rewards that you can get in that, that massive overseas market. And it's left a hole in the center. So it's not 
so much as I want to move away from movies. I love the movies. I mean, yeah. having been involved with the two Reacher movies was an absolute privilege. It's just that the sort of ground is disappearing from under our feet. At the same time, the rise of long-form streaming television is is filling a gap for exactly my kind of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's not only a desire, but it, it's inevitable that it'll have to move to that. So are you in discussions or are you... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of discussions going on at the moment, a lot of um, exploratory stuff and jockeying for position and so yeah. on. And uh, I'm pretty sure something will happen sooner or later. Hollywood grinds extremely slow. Yeah. Um, so the deal will take a little while to do, I'm sure. But then the upside of television is that you get things made very quickly yeah it's well, not like the movies where you know it's a year a year and a half uh, before you see anything it's like the climb to the top of the roller coaster and then you get then the, very quickly and then down yeah and off you go and uh, so it's just a case of watch the space really it is yeah, yeah but i I'm, I'm confident it'll happen uh, sooner or later mm. okay so let's talk about jack your 23rd jack reacher novel i believe is Past tense. Yep, coming out in November. November, which is fantastic. What can you tell us about where Jack is and where he's going to go in this in this book? Well, it's a kind of two-strand book. Uh, I never have a plan. I never have an outline. I never have a preconception of what it's going to be about. It's just all comes from. I improvise it based on, I guess, what's on my mind or what's swirling around in my subconscious. And I started out this book with a vague idea for a two-strand story. We've got Richard doing something, and, and then we've got two young Canadians doing something. And as a matter of fact, just for the sake of uh, starting the book somewhere, it starts in Maine. Richard has been in Maine for the summer. Right. He likes to be warm in winter, so now he's heading south. Uh, and because we started in Maine, Stephen King popped into my head, and I thought, right. suppose, therefore, we make that secondary strand with the young Canadian couple. Suppose we made that a bit Stephen King-like. Uh-huh. So we've got a book here where on the one side we've got Reacher doing something. What he's doing is just out of idle curiosity, really, uh, searching for his father's old house. Right. Because he knows from ancient family paperwork that his father was born in a certain town in New Hampshire. Uh-huh. And he happens to be passing close by. So he thinks, you know what, I may as well just go and take a look. I'll go and find the old guy's house, yeah. see what it's like. Uh, but he gets there and there is no record at all of anybody called Reacher living in that town. So there's, there's a bit of a mystery on that side. And meanwhile, the Canadians are driving down from a, a remote spot in the north of Canada trying to get to New York City to sell something. But they're a sort of hopeless, hapless young couple and their car is lousy and it breaks down near this remote motel in the middle of the woods. And that's where the Stephen I was King kind say, of flavor comes from. I was going to say, feel yeah. like a bit Stephen King. That's fantastic. I mean, I've seen. I'm not going to ask you that. What everyone asks you about? Oh, you know, when is it going to end? And do you still enjoy writing series, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, what I what I'm interested in is, I've seen you say this before that writing a new Reacher book is almost like starting afresh, and it just seems to me, just from that description, it's again, it's a fresh take on Reacher. Do you still feel that way every time you start? You know, sit down to write on the first of September each year. Yeah, I absolutely do, you know, partly because of the early choices that Reacher's character should be somewhat um, dislocated, uh, yeah. rootless. And so he has no job, no home, no fixed location, so that nothing is ever repeated from the previous book. It does feel like a completely new adventure. Yeah, And partly from, I think, just from reading other series all my life and from talking to other writers and thinking about it, that... 
the only way to mess up a series really is to get kind of over-involved and over-protective about the character. Right, right. Um, the worst possible thing to do is fall in love with the character. Right, yeah. So what I do is I ignore Reacher for the rest of the year. Yeah. I don't think about him. Uh, I'm not in love with him. I take no pains at all to protect him. I show him warts and all. Yeah. And that, therefore, liberates me in a sense. You know, yeah. it's not like I'm carrying a legacy. I'm not ghostwriting a biography where I've got to make the guy look good. Yeah, yeah. I can just tell the truth yeah, um, yeah. in as much as I make it up. Yeah, know? absolutely. Well, uh, Lee, I know that it's, uh, you, it's an incredibly busy weekend, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, it's always a pleasure to see you. Real pleasure, and I want to say thanks to everybody who came to the Thinkson's Festival, you know, attendees and authors alike. Uh, we had a great time this year. This thing has been on an upward spiral now for 16 years, and let's hope it continues. Absolutely. Hear, hear, hear to that. Thank you, Lee.